And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, once again we come before you asking you to join us here this morning and trusting that you are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. This is the first Sunday after Epiphany, the Sunday on which the church traditionally celebrates the baptism of Jesus. You heard it in the reading and in the hymn. There are actually three remembrances that are traditionally celebrated with Epiphany. There's the baptism, which we're remembering today. There's the visit of the wise men, which we sort of fold into our Christmas celebration, but do observe in a special way when Epiphany itself falls on a Sunday. And there's also Jesus' first miracle at a wedding in Cana, turning water into wine. These are all three associated with Epiphany because they both individually and as a set are about a special kind of revealing, a revelation, a realizing who Jesus really is. This child, so recently born into the world, is special. Now the wise men, as we read last week, come to Bethlehem following a star, and a new kind of king is revealed to them. So revelatory is the experience, in fact, that they disobey Herod, who, if you'll recall, sent them to find out and report back on the whereabouts of this child. They disobey Herod and go home by another route. Jesus is a revelation to them. They realize that now everything is going to be different. Similarly, when Jesus works his first miracle, it's sort of a going public moment for him. All of a sudden, his ministry is out there in a way that it wasn't before. It's a revelation to everyone. This is a miracle worker. And the third revelation of this triptych, although not in chronological order, is Jesus' baptism by John in the River Jordan and his public revelation as God's beloved son, the subject of the text that we have before us this morning. But before we get to our text this morning, I want to press rewind for a minute. Those of you who walked through the Advent and Christmas seasons with us will remember that we spent those seasons in Isaiah looking at the prophetic word about the coming Messiah and how he would enter into this bleak and broken world in which we now live and usher in not only a new heavens and new earth at the end of time, but that he would actually be good news for us now. Jesus, in his coming, Isaiah insists, accomplishes for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. He saves us for eternity and completely reorients our hearts into a relationship with God, a relationship not based in fear, but in peace. And so Isaiah's predictions come to fruition in 
Jesus. At Christmas, Jesus becomes God incarnate. He came from holy heaven to sinful earth. He comes into the dark dungeons of the world, as Isaiah calls them. This sinful world and the dark dungeons of our sinful hearts and liberates us. By becoming sin for us, he liberates us, setting us free to live a new life in the bright light of his grace and love. And today, we read the description of God's presentation of his Messiah, this rescue mission which dovetails perfectly with the story of Jesus' baptism once he actually came. This will be another going public moment, another time after which everyone realizes that nothing will be the same. But first, the announcement, hundreds of years earlier. Here is my servant whom I uphold, announces Almighty God in Isaiah 42. My chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth. And the coastlands wait for his teaching. What an introduction this is. I remember back in the late 1990s when the Chicago Bulls stadium announcer would introduce the team before the home games. All the lights would go off in the stadium and this incredibly cool music would start playing. And he'd announce the players like Ron Harper, Luke Longley, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen. But then he'd hesitate. And you could feel through the TV screen the electricity in the crowd. Because Michael Jordan was about to be introduced. And as soon as the guy said, from North Carolina, the crowd would just erupt. They knew that they had Michael Jordan. He was theirs. And as long as he was theirs... They were going to win. 82 nights a year, the city of Chicago staked its reputation on the performance of Michael Jordan. And as far as human beings go, Michael Jordan on a basketball court is pretty darn good. Jordan almost never let them down. Ray Ortland, in his really great commentary on Isaiah, says that these verses in chapter 42 that we read this morning are God staking his reputation on Jesus Christ. God proves he is God, writes Ortland, as Jesus Christ delivers us from the darkness of our idolatries, opens our eyes to his glory, and brings us out of our self-created dungeons. Through Christ... God is showing how committed he is to us idolaters by leading us into newness. He will not withdraw his covenant of grace, though we often break it by our emotional attachment to other gods. God will make his love known to us 
He will love us until we finally get it. He stakes his honor on that. Therefore, we are not confined to our abominations and prisons. God saves us not by telling us to lose ourselves in some vaguely defined cosmic all, but by taking upon himself at his cross all the wrongs we've done and by giving back to us our truest selves that we lost so long ago. This is how God proves that he really is almighty God. Now, the first half of Isaiah's prophecies almost always involve a sobering depiction of what life is really like. Sin, famine, deserts, war, enmity, strife, things displeasing to God. But then Isaiah sees a glorious future, the same world, but redeemed. And how? By the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Almighty God does not wait for this world or for its inhabitants, you and me, us, to get our act together, destroy our idols, and get to him. In Jesus, he comes to us, to sinners, to idolaters, to prove that he is really God. And now, he's ready to present himself to the world. He's ready to go public. The lights go dark. Incredible music begins to play. Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist have all been introduced. There's a pause. The crowd is absolutely electric. And now, from a carpenter shop in Nazareth... Now, see, when I wrote that, I thought there was like a 15% chance that would work. And an 85% chance that it would completely fall apart. And I see, tragically, that my odds were correct. But that's what's going on here. God is presenting Jesus to the world. Here is my servant, who I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. And what a king he will be. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And then it actually happened. God proved that he was God. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Our Savior has gone public. We have Jesus Christ. He is ours, and as long as we have him, we are going to win. Into a world of sin, famine, deserts, war, enmity, and strife, all manner of things displeasing to God, there is one thing. 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. John recognized his righteousness and tried to refuse to baptize him. Are you joking? Me? Baptize you? But like Ortland said, God is showing how committed he is to us idolaters. God will make his love known to us. He will love us until we finally get it. He stakes his honor on that. And this is how God makes his love known. Jesus for you. Righteousness for sinfulness. Goodness for badness. Pleasure for displeasure. Jesus has pleased God. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then has decided that God's pleasure is his gift to you. You have been rescued. Not on your account, but on account of what Jesus has done for you. 2,000 years ago, God, almighty God, holy God, looked at his newly baptized son and said, I love him. With him, I am well pleased. And today, he looks at you, a redeemed sinner, clothed in Christ, a recipient of Christ's own righteousness, his own goodness, and says, because of my son, I love you. Today, with you, yes, even you, I am well pleased. Believe that. And it is true for you today. Amen.